This podcast is brought to you by the Los Angeles Inner Group of Overeaters Anonymous. Please visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three podcast feeds of over 200 sound files of individual speakers as well as events such as retreats and workshops. You'll also find order forms for ordering CDs of many of these speakers through the San Fernando Valley Inner Group of OA. Finally, we have a donation button where you can contribute to keeping this valuable service continuing for yourself and others. Again, our website is www.oalaig.org. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Faith. I'm Faith. I'm a grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. Hi, and thank you, John, for asking me to lead tonight. Um, and you know, this meeting is really—it's really neat to be at a, the first meeting of the year. Um, and I spoke at a meeting this morning at 7:30 in Burbank, so I have a feeling this year is probably a lot about service and um, a lot about you know continuing to live my life. Uh, in recovery, um, gosh, and I guess sharing it with people. I didn't share a whole bunch. I didn't. I left some meetings last year, but not a lot. Um, and last year was kind of a. Um, oh sure, can you guys hear me? I'm getting over a cold too, so I probably sound weird. Um, you turning it up? Yeah. Thanks. So, so I've been up since I don't know. You know, my little violin. I've been up since a quarter to six, you know. Uh, Well, I guess I'll just give some of the stats out of the way. Uh, I got to this program, oh, boy, on a Tuesday. It was October 28th of 1986. And um, how I got here is always, to me, it's just my pitch of gratitude to my higher power. And um, for... You don't know who you're helping by your presence here and who you just casually would tell your story to. Um, I, I got here when I was 19, so probably about about maybe a month before that, I saw one of my really good friends. from. We were both in college, and um, we were binge buddies in high school. So it was myself, her, and the other friend who was a bulimic. So we all had, you know, our, we all... That was our thing, you know. It was um, this is you know 80s and 1980s in Los Angeles. So it was Fat Burger and whatever little greasy place we could find, you know. And um, we'd go in her car and we'd go to Psychics to go get the five dollar palm reading. We'd go get some food and we'd go and complain and trash other people. That was our thing. Very passive, you know, aggressive kind of, um, you know, just kind of like molding those resentments, you know, how much we hated people and how stupid people were. Anyway, I saw this girl for, uh, you know, like like spring or Christmas break or spring break, whatever. It must have been, must have been during the summer uh, or right before school started because this was um, probably like September. And she had dropped probably about 30 pounds, and she was very petite. She was about 5 feet tall, maybe 4'11". And, um, you know, 30 pounds on somebody that with that stature is a lot of weight. And the clarity and the peace that I saw on her 
was something that, um, you know, I'll never forget it. It's kind of like if you read Bill's story and he talks about his friends sitting across from him um, who look different. That was really my experience. Uh, and thank God for st- a step studies where you, or big book studies where you actually get to read uh, the big book in depth and start to really realize that this man is sitting, he wants what he has, and he's seeing something different, and he, he knows that he was no different before than he was. You know, what was the only difference? Um, so she told me a little bit about her going to both OA and AA, and uh, I remember thinking, hmm, that, that sounds interesting, but, um, and I told her she didn't have to do that because she was only, I think we were at the time we were 18 or 19, you didn't have to do that. You know, that it, whatever I thought, it was just, it was something about I wanted to protect her from whatever this program was doing. You know, because at the time I was talking to her on the phone. So when I saw her, that's when it clicked. It was like something's different. And probably, like I said, about 30 days after that, I got to um, the rooms. And, um, you know, I just celebrated, I guess this past October, I celebrated uh, 21 years of abstinence. And, you know, when I, would, when I was new and I would hear somebody with 21 years, I'd look at them and they knew how to talk this stuff and they looked really cool and... You know, sometimes they were thin, sometimes they were whatever weight they were supposed to be at. But I guess I always think, you know, they they don't know. They they really don't. They didn't eat like I ate. They didn't feel like I felt. And, um, I, you know, for the newcomers, I, you know, my biggest thing, what I really, really wanted, I didn't want serenity, you know. Who, who cares about it? That's nice. But what I really wanted was um, to be thin. And then that would open the doorway for him. You know, mm-hmm. he would walk in the door. And, you know, and would walk in, and it was, you know, the, the other thing that would open the door for would be for acceptance, you know, and love. And then I wouldn't be so obsessed over what other people thought of me. You know, that's what this thinness was supposed to do. Um, so when I got here, can I move the recorder just a little bit? Okay. I don't know if it's going to make a loud noise on the tape. Um, so when I got here, uh, the thing that really struck me about this program, um, I know a lot of people have these wonderful, they, they read the steps and they were just enlightened and all that other stuff. What it really did was it gave me permission because this was the last house on the block for me. Uh, at the time, I was wearing size 22, and I had watched myself um, go from a size 16. I was mainly a size 16 for pretty much after, I guess, from the time I was about 12, probably till the time I was um, maybe about maybe 18, you know, right before 17, because I started college at 17. Um, so I was about size 16, and I watched myself go up and up and up in size in my first two years of college. I just watched, I just, you know, literally, there was, I, I worked at a, at a department store, and I bought the same dress in 18. And I bought the same dress in a 20. And then I bought the same dress in a 22. Uh, and that's when I got that call. And, um, you know, and for me, this was the, the way that I really wanted. I really wanted it to be thin. But at the same time, what I really wanted was to just check out. I was ready to go. I said, you know, um, I don't want my life to be like this anymore. And I remember sitting on the side of my bed and say, asking when it was going to stop because I didn't have a name for the pain and I didn't have a name for what I was feeling, but I knew whatever it was that I really wanted it to stop. 
And, you know, by the grace of God in this program, you know, today I know that that was recovery. And what I really wanted was to stop eating compulsively. And what I wanted was serenity. But I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't name it. And sometimes, you know, you have things that you feel or that you, you see pictures in your head and you just still can't. Like even the other day I had a, um, there was something, there was something this, this guy had dated and there was something I couldn't put my, I couldn't articulate. I mean, I had never gotten a more expensive Valentine's Day gift. I was telling everybody, I'm like, oh my God, this is so amazing and he's so nice and he's so wealthy and so, oh, I could not figure out why the hell I didn't want to date this guy. And I was talking to my sponsor in another program, and it clicked, and I was able to articulate it. And it was something simple, but it was just one of those pictures. So, you know, if you're, if you're in this program, to me, keep talking. You know, there's all this stuff that's on the inside that really needs to come out. And a lot of it is just so, it's three-dimensional. You know, I hate to sound metaphysical, but it really is. It's stuff, it's pictures, somebody, you know, looked at me crazy, or somebody said something that was, to me, the wrong way, and I can't even articulate what I didn't like about it. But it's something that, you know, and it's like a, I can't even articulate the resentment. But um, I know that things get better, so I don't know. I'm trying to get out of that little circular, whatever I was getting into. I don't know what that was, Anyway, um, you know, I think I want to just tell you a little bit about the, the, what, what it was like in some ways for me. I'll probably go through that really, hopefully if I can, really quickly. Um, hardcore grazer, I ate all day long. And when I say all day long, only when I slept was I not eating. Um, I had no consciousness that I was eating all day long. It was the only thing I knew how to do. I grew up in my family's culture. My mom's from Louisiana. My father was from West Africa. And um, had very heavy food, lots of amazing food. And um, the tradition to this day is still, it's all about the food. You know, my grandmother cooks for an army. And, um, you know, for me growing up, um, there was always something different in my family. Because my mom, from her family, um, the Louisiana side, it was a big deal that she married my father. It was a really big deal. It's, it's still not articulated today, but um, it was like this, who is this foreigner? You know, she, she kind of, you know, she uh, didn't go back to college, and she got married, and she had a child. That was a big deal. So when I grew up, I knew there was a lot of tension between my mom and my dad and, my, and, my, and her parents and my father's family. Um, you know, we talk over every now and again on the phone, but I knew there was this tension. And in my household, there was this way of speaking that was really, my mom is not a, a, a real big talker. So I grew up in a really silent household. My, uh, my father was a talker, um, but both of them were readers, so it was actually kind of a silent household. So we're really kind of very literary family, lots of books. My, um, I grew up a lot, around a lot of antiques, um, and I grew up in kind of this this thing where we were in these uh, really nice neighborhoods and I felt so uncomfortable. And I couldn't articulate it. Um, but I just, I remember feeling like, probably like a princess, probably up until I was about five or six. And my father's businesses um, started to kind of crumble. And for him, it was like his mid- midlife, midlife crisis. And so I watched us go from a, a really nice, lifestyle to kind of a 
okay kind of weirdness. And I kept wondering, well, what am I going to get back to, you know, this, this other thing that I was raised in? And, um, you know, in my family, the, the most thing, the, the biggest compliment that you can give somebody is to empathize with them. Ooh, sorry. If, you know, you can empathize with them. So I feel what you feel. If you're feeling it, I'm right there with you. So even as a little kid, I remember feeling rage at, you know, whatever, you know, creditor or old employer my father had. So that was the thing. It was to just pet these resentments, you know, just keep them going. So uh, for me as a little girl, I didn't really fit in in my school. I went to private school. um, And I really don't think it was about race because there were probably maybe about maybe you know, a few other African-American kids in my school. Um, but there was always this thing about being different. Um, I had a different name. You know, uh, I had a different culture. Um, and we lived in nice neighborhoods, and it, and it felt like people were sniping at us. And, you know, it just made me, and I'm just as a compulsive, I think by nature I'm a sensitive person. So I was feeling all kinds of stuff that probably was not mine. Uh, and so I, I grew up, um, by the time I was maybe in grade school, and I'm going back so far, it's because program got to me so early that I could actually see some of this stuff that, that made these things that really, pro- unfortunately, probably, um, that these memories that may not go away, but my perspective on them changes. Thank God for the steps. Thank God for God and for prayer and for, you know, being able to look back without staring but the value of looking at this stuff is that I get to see that, um, you know, I remember being victim, a victim of, of groupthink and um, bullying and teasing. And so probably by the time I was um, in high school, it had just, I was angry. I was just hostile and angry and um, a rebel, you know, a preppy, uh, nerdy rebel. So I liked all the goths. Again, this is 80s L.A., so this is, you know, the goths were, were doing their thing, and I would, like, tag along and kind of hang out with them with their white makeup and their purple hair. Again, like I said, this is 80s Los Angeles, okay? <laughs> you know, and I'm young. So at the time, um, the best I could do was kind of observe your life, you know, and watch you do the things that I wanted to do. And at the same time, I was getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and the weight was getting... Um, it was not fun. You know, I had really, I, we don't talk about um, the sadness as much, but I tell you, I was a sad young lady. I really was. Um, and by the time I got to this program, I started to hear people talk about hope and weight loss in terms that were not Gloria Marshall or Weight Watchers or Nutrisystem or whatever, something else I couldn't afford because I was in college at the time and could not afford anything like, you know, Gloria Marshall, but that was the most accessible. Um, Weight Watchers actually was the most accessible. But what I did do, what I, when I came to school, I was a champion dieter and I was a champion restrictor. I was really good at that. I could figure it out. I was like, okay, you know, grapefruits and cottage cheese. And I think the best diet that I ever figured out was Cheetos and blueberry yogurt. You know, because you could have your fat and you could have your sweet. You know, it was brilliant. And I, and I lost weight and, and diet coke forgot about that. And um, people noticed that I lost weight. And I got a little bit of status and then I gained it back. 
Anyway, so um, the thing about understanding just how good I am at restricting kind of carried into this program, too. And, um, you know, I was very, my, I had gone through different iterations of my food plan, which at the time we called abstinence. And abstinence for me, abstaining, as I abstain today, as I abstain from uh, any form of sugar, you know, I kind of used the, the, um, the rubric that if it's, if it's the fifth ingredient, I might have it. If it's the fourth, it's a maybe, you know, I'll taste it. Um, and pretty much that's kind of it. Um, and that is not the essence I walked in here with. It is just not. Uh, it was very, it was very much about, at the, the very first essence I had was um, go home from the very first meeting I went to. And they said, well, it's uh, 10.30, so, or, or it was maybe it was noon. They said, well, how many meals have you eaten today? And whatever I did, we're like, okay, do that and go to a meeting tomorrow. And I kept doing that. I kept following directions when I got here. And um, I watched people who were 300 pounds. I used to go, there was a, the 100-pounders meeting that's now on Thursday nights used to be on, on Monday night in um, Veterans Building. And we used to meet in the cafeteria. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'd go to that meeting and I watched people who were 300 pounds really laughing and smiling and talking about abstaining and losing weight. And it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life. You know, because the thing about weight is that in my family it was always us against them. So even weight was an issue of us against them. It was like, you know, what are you talking about, these crazy Americans, you know, with being thin? I was like, but I, you know, I'm not thin. I'm, I'm fat. I've got these huge legs. And my dad said, but you're beautiful. What are you talking about? And, you know, thank God he said that because he's my dad. He was my father. But, um, you know, at the time I really didn't have this. I had such a, a sense of I just got to be like everybody else. If I could just blend in, you know, then it would kind of fix everything, you know. And it just wasn't happening for me. I just seemed to stick out everywhere I went. Um, so the last thing for me, since I didn't have what I what I and I so the things that I thought I didn't have, I didn't have beauty, I didn't have a nice body, and um, so what I thought I had to offer was my brains. And I thought I was really sweet. I wouldn't say, I thought I was a really nice person, I was really sweet. Of course, you know, you start working this program, you find out just how not nice and not sweet you really are. Um, so, um, how much time do I have? Let's see. Um, I'll go to 610 and then I'll do questions. Okay. Uh, so, you know, the way that I work this program, so that was what it was like. You know, so for anybody's here and you came in and you figured if you couldn't, and even if you weren't able to articulate it, but if there, the feeling, if I'm able to say, and you can kind of tap into how this, um, you know, vibrates for you, uh, if the feeling was, if I can't get my body to look like everybody else or to look like what, what's acceptable, you know, I just don't want to be here. You know, you're in the right place. You know, to me, this program is is, is for people like that. Um, and, you know, how I work, how I've been here for 21 years is truly a day at a time. I don't have anything special, you know. I don't have a passport that says, you know, got a, you know, um, got this passport to God. Um, I don't have that. But what I do have is, um, boy, uh Probably many experiences of watching my higher power work in my life 
that have built upon themselves to the point where I think I'm going to stay. You know, I think I'm going to keep coming back. Um, And I wrote some notes. um, And one of the things I wrote down was willingness is key. And, you know, I was talking to uh, somebody that I sponsor about, you know, you can't solve the food at the level of the food. You know, every time I have had any type of weight loss, it's been working the steps. And, you know, I have tried to manipulate and control my abstinence many, many times. You know, when I talked about it at the very beginning, you know, kind of shaking it up. It's like, okay, fat-free, sugar-free, you know, calories, whatever I want to do. You know, maybe go to a couple of how meetings, whatever. It just hasn't been, that hasn't been, it's, it's been temporary, you know. And then the real, the real uh, as somebody talked about earlier, taking a, a, a candle, the real hunger comes back. You know, so to me, what I found is then my, my solution is to seek my higher power. And even though if I haven't been able to define my higher power, even if I haven't been to, um, able to uh, connect with my higher power, that to me seems to be um, that key of willingness, the willingness to seek my higher power. And, um, you know, one of the things that I wrote down was what is self-will? You know, because we talk, the big book talks about um, self-will run riot. Well, what is self-will? And, you know, it's kind of like just wanting things the way I want them to be. You know, it's like living my life in that fourth column and it just being just unfortunately very, not very pretty. You know, things just, you know, I want, I want the lady that had yeah, peeps today, I wanted her to hand the coffee to me in my hand. And I said, oh, well, why can't you hand it to me in my hand? And so what I did was I walked over and I talked to the guy. I said, she didn't hand me the coffee in my hand. Well, it's a safety precaution. And we had this little, you know, this little going back and forth. And she said, it's a safety precaution. And it wasn't personal. And I said, well, I don't like it. And so, you know what happens? I get back in the car and I felt like a jerk. I thought, oh, why was that even an issue? It's like the character defect of, you know, I need to be right. I need to be the princess, and I need to be treated with the utmost respect and care at all times. You know, that just came right back up. You know, and oh my God, you know, it just is not, it's not, it's just not becoming. It's not esteemable. Ugh. Um, but, you know, that's, to me, having that moment and being able to tell you about it probably means that I'll have a nice, peaceful dinner. That's what that means. You know, it doesn't mean I get to beat up on myself or to, you know, make fun of myself. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm trying to do is unload the crap and the shit so that I don't have to carry it around and it be disguised as a cheeseburger. Even though cheeseburgers are actually in my absence, I don't, I don't like them. But, you know, if you want a cheeseburger, that's cool. I just thought of it. But, um, uh, you know, for me, that's, that's part of it. So maybe that's where my self-will is. You know, the other part of self-will is... You know, that, um, you know, when I talk to my sponsor, to me, what self, how self-will seems to, like, pop up is that little voice that says, is she really qualified to be my sponsor? <laughs> you know, can she really tell me? Blah, 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 blah. You know, I had a sponsor for nine years, who unfortunately um, uh, is no longer my sponsor. Uh, but one of the things that, that I really appreciated was I had a tiny bit of fear of her. And, you know, what I was taught in these rooms is that the voice of the sponsor has to be louder than the the voice of the disease. That's what I was taught. And that if I allow my sponsor to be a voice that's louder than the ism 
and a voice that, you know, try, and then part of me has to put my self-will aside and get into that level of trust where, okay, you know, I don't know where this is going. It sounds dumb to, you know, at the very beginning to write, you know, about how I'm feeling. You know, and then as we know now how invaluable writing is as a tool. Invaluable. You know, I remember I was writing Dear God letters when I first got into the program. And I write, Dear God, please guide my pen in honesty. And to this day, I still, that's the way I do my free flow writing, is I started with, Dear God, the Dear HP, please guide my pen in honesty. And that's the way that I try to connect with my higher power. Um, you know, how do I, uh, I already went over that, resentment inventories. Um, we know a lot, I, to me, I don't know if anybody's newer than me, but the, the way that we do the fourth step is, um, in this program, the way I was taught was to do the fourth step uh, through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that fourth step inventory, um, you know, I had done many of them. It took me, and, and if you're not on the steps and you're like in year four, that's okay. I did step four in year four. You go, this is not, this is not a race. Unless you're racing to get to the weight, you know, finish line so that everything will be okay, you know. And, and unfortunately, that's, a, that's like, you know, that's, that's the diet mentality. That to me, I, it, it, every time I want to force something to happen, that's my diet mentality. It's trying to get in there, you know, and rush something to happen. Anyway, I did my stuff for the first one in my four, fourth year. And um, I've done many, many resentment inventories since then. And I, I joined a, a, big book stu- a big book study workshop, at, rather. And it was just by some guys that weren't even in a way. They were in other programs. But it gave me such a respect for going through the big book by paragraph and listening, you know, certain things that I think of now, I'm like, wow, thank you. I'm so glad they talked about, we just went over through, um, one of the things is we have to, we have to let go of some, I don't know what the phrase is. They say it differently, but it's like these preconceived notions or or deeply seated notions. And some of, what are are those? So for me, when I looked at that um, as a recovering compulsive reader, some of my notions were that um, you know, that if I just work the program faster, you know, it will work. Or that my higher power really didn't care about, you know, my food. That this was probably a penny issue considering that there were, you know, incredible things happening in this world. Uh, why would it be, why would it be important? And, you know, I posed this to one of the long-timers because the good part about um, even having a long-time, there's still somebody who has more time than me, thank God. And I was able to ask him, I said, well, you know, what, you know, I, I've got this, you know, I'm a recovering compulsive overeater, but you guys got these other substances that you're in. Those are heavy duty. And he, he looked at me and he said, honey, it's anything that's separating you from your higher power. And right then and there, that's when I started to get a lot more respect for this disease and what, just how it manifests in my life, um, even in the, in, in the road to recovery. Um, and, I, and I do think, I'm jumping around, but I think this point is, is just came to me to say is that the way I was brought up in this program is that, you know, abstinence is not here today and gone tomorrow. You know, if it completely looks ass backwards tomorrow, it's still, you keep going. You know, what I was told was if we're driving from Los Angeles to New York and the car breaks down in Texas, you fix it in Texas and you keep going. Now, I don't know when that became something that people don't do, but that's the way I sponsor. 
That is the way that I imagine it today. It's not pretty. It doesn't look, you know, fantastic every single day. It's life. You know, I'm supposed to participate to the best of my ability. So, back to the resentment inventories. Okay. So, in doing these inventories, and I was talking a little bit about living in that fourth step where you, in the fourth column, you know, where I get to see me. You know, I, I put the person that I'm resenting, you know, the, the cause, what they did to me. Then I look at the uh, effects mine, and I've got those seven areas, you know, that it affects my relationships. You know, my sex relationships, my pocketbook, my ambition, my pride, all these things that I write down. And then in that fourth column, I was um, I'm supposed to look at what's my part. And as I look at what's my part, that's when one of the things that, I, I, that, that jumped out of it for me was that my personality. It was, you know, who I, who I real, how I live my life. You know, and how I live my life really comes back to this. You know, it's different. It's progress, not perfection. It's different iterations of what our disease began to be at the very beginning, which is obsessing over, obsessing over what I, um, how much I weigh, what size I'm wearing, what I think other people think about me, and uh, the food that I'm eating. And so if I'm, not, if I'm not obsessing over things, I'm obsessing over whether or not the Lady of Peace gave me the freaking cup in my goddamn hand. You know, it's a different iteration of that. You know, but it's still the same kind of insanity, you know. So, anyway, um, wow, that's, that's time for questions? Sure, I just have a, a few things I just wanted to pitch about the tools. Um, you know, our tools are service, the telephones, meetings, sponsors, writing, um, and not just sponsoring, having a sponsor, but being a sponsor. You know, to me, I think that, you know, they say you can't keep it unless you give it away. That is the honest to God's truth in my experience. I actually found out that what I had to offer by sponsor, I had to find out what kind of program I had when I started to sponsor. And, you know, and, and unfortunately, God blessed the first couple sponsees, you know, way back when, because it was like, I'm willing them to be abstinent, and they just, you know, it's not happening, and I'm taking it personally, and I'm just, you know, I'm just pissed off, and, and you know, and as it evolves into this relationship where, you know, it really is, and I've, I have um, a sponsor that I've been sponsoring for many years, and I feel so blessed to have that sponsee, because my goodness, um, you know, it's like having a witness in your life, and them having a witness in your life. You were, yeah, them and you. Anyway, um, the last thing I just wanted to say was that, you know, probably about uh, a year and a half ago, um, I had done, got that, got the, you know, kind of got, got down to um, that surrender level where I needed to do another, another inventory. And um, my sponsor in another program told me that they were doing a um, step study in that program. And it was she and I and maybe about another 16 or 18 people. And all these other miracles started happening in all these other people's lives. And you guessed it. The miracle that happened in her life and my life is, was weight loss. And they looked at us like, 
And it was so funny because it was such a reminder that, you know, I wear my disease. You know, maybe somebody else gets married and has a baby, you know, but I'll lose weight because that's what my disease is. That's what I'm supposed to, you know, release so that whatever else abundance, abundance is supposed to come into my life. Um, and it's been really interesting to wear size 8s and 10s and stuff. And I even have a size 6 jacket. And um, and every now and when I when I tried to I tried to squeeze myself into this pair of size six pants and it just it didn't really work. It was just really kind of embarrassing. But at least you know I tried it, you know. And um, uh, you know I think that when as I was saying before about that thing of you know somehow we'll change once we lose the weight. You know it's the same head. It's a smaller body. And, you know, thinking that my problems will go away when the weight goes away is that, you know, that's that wishful thinking. It's still me. You know, so what I get an opportunity to do is to practice the principles of, these pro- of this program. You know, I get to in- ask my higher power to guide me on a daily basis. Um, what do I have to do today? You know, is it a 10 step? Is it, you know, pages 86 through 88 in the big book? You know, as we begin, as we um what do you call it? Upon awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. You know, before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking. You know, that's why I try to stay today. Even if I don't read it physically, I try to say it in my head. Because that's where I want to be. Because when I know I'm doing that, I'm right in that road of asking my higher power to remove the selfishness, the dishonesty, and the self-seeking motives that usually get me in trouble. You know, and make it a very uncomfortable day. So um, I think I'm going to stop there. And um, <coughs> questions? Okay. Thank you for letting me share. Okay. Oh, I was just saying. Okay. Are there any questions? <laughs> question is, what do you use the phone for, or, you know, um, you know, I think that it, the way I was taught in the program was to use the telephone before I take that next compulsive bite, and then after it wasn't the compulsive bite, it was the uncomfortable feeling, and after it was the uncomfortable feeling, it was the difficult conversation I was supposed to have, or it was, you know, some, you know, the, the argument that, or the, I don't know, somebody was went off on me or, you know, the sadness that I was feeling or whatever that was. Um, and today I use the telephone quite a bit to even even book in actions that I'm supposed to take. Um, I try to stay connected. I try to <coughs> use the telephone to say yes to service. So if somebody calls and asks me if there's something that, um, you know, whether it's to speak or to um, be on a committee or, you know, participate in some way, 
So, and, and I understand, you know, the, the telephone, I think, um, to me, anonymity comes in pl- into play with the telephone, you know, because anonymity is supposed to level the play, playing field, which is I can learn something from anybody and anybody can learn something from me. And, you know, people are kind of operating in their character defects, so that you've got varying, various levels of, of um, serenity and recovery happening. So I try to be very judicious about who I call. And um, I also try to um, use the telephone in a way that I was taught when I pick up the phone to make an outreach call, I'm asking to see how they're doing. It's not about what's going on with me. You know, and it doesn't mean to hold it in, but to take the focus off of, you know, me, 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 and then more of me. So I hope that's helpful to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, to what you just said, you make an outreach call when you're having a problem and you're like mining something and you're having a problem doing something. Um, how, do you, how does that help you if you don't talk about you? And if you just ask how they're doing, you eventually get a reciprocal response. Well, maybe the step in between sometimes for me has been to write about whatever's going on, you know, and to, there's different people I'm calling for different reasons. You know, if I'm calling my sponsor, I'm like, this is what's going on. You know, and I'm also, at the same time, you know, maybe the whole, what I also needed to say was that sometimes it's actually making more than one phone call. Because by the first phone call, you know, I've, I've completely forgotten that I'm supposed to ask you about anything. You know, I'm like, oh, my God. And then the second phone call, it's a little bit more about, okay, I've gotten the emotion out. This is what's happening. And by the third phone call, I'm usually saying, and I'm usually able to find out, how are you? Yeah, I just had this such and such go on, and i got to make this decision. And, um, you know, maybe I can talk about it with a little bit less of the intensity. So I hope that helps. Mm-hmm. You have a question? Mm-hmm. Um, thank you very much for the show. How do you deal with your family? Um, you know, this Christmas was different. I mean, they've been around me now for the past 21 years, so they know I don't do sugar. Um to this day, I'll, my aunt's a diabetic, so I'd probably bring something that's either sugar-free or, you know, sugar-added to, to a family event. Uh, I do live by myself here in Southern California, so I don't necessarily, um, I'm not around them as much as I used to be, but there was a long time, even I have a, 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 an aunt who would, you know, just say, taste it, taste it, my, 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 um, my sponsor would say, that's rude, because it, it couldn't have been more than two or three years ago, and she was trying to force the spoon of something in my face because she just thought I really needed to taste it, and um, I remember my sponsor at the time said, that was really rude, and, you know, it's, it's, the food is off limits, it's just not something I discuss if they ask me, great. Um, and you know my, you know there were times when I didn't eat meat. There were times when I was, didn't eat white flour. So there was a period of time when they were kind of like, well, uh, what can you eat? You know. <laughs> and um, my answer would be, and, and it, it really feels amazing that as I, at the same time that you know I surrendered more to my higher power, started to work the steps in another program, you know that the weight started to come off. And I stopped, and one of the things that I realized was that I just couldn't, it's not, it's not in my control. You know, I can't restrict, like I, I can't get off on the restricting like I was, you know. It's just not part of my recovery. So, you know, it's really, it feels really amazing to be at the point where I can look at stuff and, you know, maybe I'll have some of it, maybe I won't. Um, but there's also not that charge 
around that resentment that they just didn't, you know, find anything that was, you know, appropriate for me. So, anyway. So. Okay. Um, if I can, like the living, working the steps, and being happy and joyous and free, or becoming happy, joyous and free as a result of the steps. Or? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what you know. I hate to throw a tool at you, but it's almost like that's what meetings are for. Because in the meetings, I get to watch somebody who, you know, I watch people be abstinent. I watch people lose weight in this program. I watch people go from absolutely cuckoo bananas to sane. You know, um, but I also think that you know having those examples of watching other people like receive more, you know, have bigger lives. You know, having more happening on their outside of their lives than on the inside of their body. I think that has really helped, too. Um, and it just, so I'm doing the steps again in, um, in this program as well as another program. And it's really funny because I get to compare my answers. And, you know, I think that I really had to give myself permission to, for there not to be some sort of emergency or deep-seated, like, you know, I had to restate the obvious so that I would still have my OA card. Like, well, I still, you know, I'm still powerless and, you know, any other, any day now. You know, I, you know I'm just a, a binge away from, you know, total destruction. You know, my life is not like that. You know, the big book says, you know, that alcoholics can do things that um, that they, that, what is it? They say the alcoholics can do things that other people can't. You know, uh, and that's in the in the chapter when they're talking about them being around alcohol, and you know being in bars or whatever, and whatever their business is, you know, but living their lives. And to me, it's like wherever my life takes me, you know, I'm, I know I'm doing things that other that in early in my recovery I was I would not be able to do. And a lot of them is to be to let life be happy, joyous, and free. You know, to allow you know the blessings to occur. Um, so I have more for you, but um, my time is up. But thanks for the question.